It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Former President Donald Trump has been indicted. Sources telling Fox News he's facing multiple federal counts related to document handling and obstruction of justice. And he's due in federal court in Miami on Tuesday. Trump says he's an innocent man. The latest on this on the Fox News Radio hourly newscast and at foxnews.com. I'm Janice Dean. I'm David Asman. I'm Dana Perino. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, June 9th, 2023. And Lisa Brady. A group on a mission for parents' rights says the haters calling them extreme are wrong. So many people accuse us of wanting to destroy public education, which isn't the case at all. All of our children are in public education and uh, we want to make it better. I'm Chris Foster. The Supreme Court rules intentionally or not, Alabama's new congressional map illegally discriminates against black voters. Alabama has its congressional districts drawn. There are seven districts. Only one of them now equates to a majority black district. We're speaking with Fox News Sunday host Shannon Bream. And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Parental rights has become a rally cry for both sides of the political aisle for very different reasons. We do not want the federal government involved in education at all. Republican presidential hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy has pledged to abolish the U.S. Department of Education. Yesterday, he headlined a parents' rights town hall in New Hampshire with Moms for Liberty, which this week was labeled an extremist group, along with some other parents' rights groups, in an annual report from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Frank Figluzzi is a former assistant director of counterintelligence at the FBI. The overall takeaway is that hate is becoming more entrenched. Um, They have gone local. He tells CNN it's mainstreaming of hatred. The law center's report puts the parents' groups under an anti-inclusion umbrella, drawing comparisons to groups that wanted to resegregate schools after the Supreme Court ruling for desegregation. But Vivek Ramaswamy says if Moms for Liberty is a hate group, Count him in. We can take that actually as a badge of honor for where we are today as a country for the same reasons as using a voter ID law is labeled racist. It's a sad state of affairs. The closer you are to being called racist, the more likely it is that you're actually doing the right thing. Moms for Liberty is holding a national summit later this month. They've expanded rapidly across the country since being founded by two moms in 2021. In two and a half years, we've gone from two chapters here in Florida to almost 300 chapters in 45 states. Moms for Liberty co-founder Tina Deskovich. So far, it's happened organically on its own. Uh, We haven't invested in recruitment or anything of that nature. Uh, How it usually happens is uh, someone sees someone speak up at their school board meeting or in a neighboring county or sees them on the news talking about an issue that concerns them. Uh, They realize they're with Moms for Liberty and then they reach out either to them or or back to us at the national office and ask how they can start a chapter. They have encountered a variety of pushback along the way. Has that changed in general? Is the pushback getting worse, if you will, if as you grow and you get more attention? Absolutely. So we, the impact our organization is having is, is really moving through the nation. And our moms have been impacting school board meetings for the past two and a half years, but the last few months, they've really been impacting legislation at the state level too. 
And with our growth and with our upcoming national summit with many of the top presidential candidates coming and speaking to us, we're really, I think, on the radar of all the haters out there. The Southern Poverty Law Center included Moms for Liberty in its annual report on hate and extremism for 2022, writing that your primary goal is to fuel right-wing hysteria and make the world a less comfortable or safe place for certain students, mainly Black and LGBTQ. Is there any truth to that? How do you counter that? We counter that by staying on mission and staying focused on what we are trying to do. Uh, We've been very clear from the beginning. Uh, We are joyful warriors. We have a code of conduct for our organization and for its members. We work hard to defend parental rights because we think it's a parent's right. We know it's a parent's right to direct the upbringing of their children. Those are God-given rights that the government cannot take away from you. And what we've seen, Tiffany and I, the co-founder, other co-founder of Moms for Liberty, we're former school board members. We served in public office uh, with large school districts, and we saw the things that go on. We saw the overstep of, uh, of government entities onto parental rights. And so this organization was created to defend and protect those rights, but also to improve public education, which is interesting because so many people accuse us of wanting to destroy public education, which isn't the case at all. All of our children are in public education and uh, we want to make it better. Right now in America, two thirds of American fourth graders cannot read on grade level. And I don't think that the establishment of public education historically is real happy that we are exposing that information. You mentioned the code of conduct. Obviously, the group as a whole can't control who who comes to your events or how everyone acts. This particular report did call out connections, at least some of the time, or perceived connections even, um, to other groups accused of being violent extremist groups. They mentioned the Proud Boys in particular. Do you have any partnerships with with other groups? And are you worried about your group's message being overshadowed or tainted when other groups who maybe have other agendas show up at your events? I do not have concerns because we are not affiliated with any of those organizations. I don't know a single member of the Proud Boys. No, I don't even think I've ever met a single member of the Proud Boys. So, And I think, Tiffany, I've heard her say the same exact thing. We have no affiliation with them whatsoever. Uh, I think that people that try to associate us with them are trying to destroy us because we are effective in the work we're doing. We are trying to build relationships. We are trying to impact change uh, in in a good and proper way and in the way our government was created to work through the system. One other question along those lines for you, just because tactics is something else that critics tend to throw at you. Some members accused of harassment, for instance. I saw a report about that. How much discretion do your chapters have for how they try to achieve goals and and challenge policies for how they go about it? Uh, We train them and teach them and hold them to that code of conduct, which is that you are to be a joyful warrior. Uh, I I don't know how else to describe that to you, but if someone was harassing, we would ask for proof. Uh, and we would handle that situation. And I've I've gone on publicly for the whole two and a half years and said, if someone is acting inappropriate and is that, and that's how they're going to carry on their business, we will remove them from the organization. We haven't had to remove too many people. We've been very blessed with a lot of wonderful people within our organization, but there have been a few that we have had to remove. And I think that's with any organization. We are growing like crazy. 
Uh, we, we don't, you know, background check all of our members or anything of that matter. So I think, I think overall we've been doing really great. You've attracted attention from Republican presidential candidates, including former President Trump, um, holding events with several candidates. Why do you think these candidates are courting you? I think there's a number of reasons. Uh, they can see the writing on the wall. <laughs> you know, they're, especially on the conservative side, there has not been uh, an organization or a movement, a grassroots movement that has stood up for many of the things they already support and agree with. They see that our organization will do that. The, we're willing to do the hard work uh, that our moms are, are willing to um, go out and, and advocate for what they believe in. And, uh, you know, we've also shared publicly many times that we're not a political organization and we're not made up of political people. Uh, our haters like to say that we are, but 40% of our members have never voted in a primary. These are like our moms are not, you know, they, they just, this is all new to them. And I think political candidates are wise to take a look at uh, our organization because we're attracting, you know, a lot of the just middle of the road. Uh, we've also looked into our membership numbers and it seems about 65% of our membership is Republicans. That means we have Democrats, independents in Florida, we have NPAs. Um, I would think any presidential candidate would uh, take a hard look at Moms for Liberty and figure out how to work with us. Since you do consider yourself a, a non-political organization, though, do you risk getting too political um, and, and taking all of the heat that goes with that these days? I think with inviting all the presidential candidates to our national summit at the end of the month, um, it has kind of thrust us in the political arena, but we are not there to advocate for any of those candidates. We are there to hear from them on our issues. We've been very clear with all of them that are coming that we hope that they will speak to parental rights, which is what we fight for, and how they are going to improve public education in America. And so, you know, we're an issue-based organization, and uh, I hope that that is what they're coming to do to share with us because that's what that's the issues we care about. Uh, and we plan on staying focused that way. We're not endorsing in this presidential primary. Uh, they're not coming to, to get our organization to get on their side, but they are coming to share their message. And, you know, just for the record, we invited all presidential candidates. We invited President Biden. We invited Robert Kennedy uh, Jr. And we would love to have them too. There's always focus on the suburbs and suburban moms, especially in recent years with every election. And, and suburbs tend to decide elections. Do you think education is the key issue in those communities? 100%. And honestly, uh, serving on the school board and even prior to that, being heavily involved in my children's education, I was frustrated presidential election after presidential election because you'd watch those primary debates on the news and sometimes they wouldn't even mention education, especially the Republican primaries. Uh, you know, you're lucky if you got one question and one discussion on that topic. And it used to frustrate me because that's the future of our country. Uh, it, it's failing in America. It, there's so many changes that need to happen and there's so much opportunity to make it so much better and it's just been ignored. So it's absolutely been a goal of ours to push this issue to the front and center so that America has a strong future and its children can read. What is really the ultimate goal of Moms for Liberty? How would you describe it, especially for people who maybe don't know about your group and they're seeing headlines about book banning or that you're, you know, anti-inclusion um, or whatever the other 
criticisms might be? How, how would you describe your ultimate goal as a group? I think the ultimate goal would be our mission statement, which is to unify, educate, and empower parents to defend their parental rights. But we, we go, we do go beyond that and have some other goals, which I think are, you know, in a little bit more layman's English. So we want to make sure that parents have the final say on everything. You know, just a few years ago, your kids couldn't take an Advil at school. Your kids, you know, even if the nurse put a Band-Aid on their knee, they would call home. And now there's policies in places across the country where your child can change their name and gender at school and, and transition transition socially without your knowledge. And, you know, that that's just it's not the way we've done things and it's not the way things should be done. And so our goal is to make sure that parents are engaged and involved uh, that the public school system is making sure that parents are engaged and involved. But we're also, our ultimate goal is to make sure children in America can read. I've already given you the stats of, of how poorly they're doing. Um, math is, I think, the lowest of all American history, the math scores are right now. And so, you know, we are, we're in a really bad situation. Our ultimate goal is to fix this public education system and protect parental rights. Moms for Liberty co-founder Tina Deskovich, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up. The Supreme Court in a 5-4 decision strikes down Alabama's congressional map, agreeing with a group of black voters that it's unfairly drawn. The case was argued in October, Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall saying the map was drawn without race in mind. We believe that the presentation today was compelling for the arguments that were made about the ability of the state of Alabama to effectively draw a plan, as well as the race-neutral reasons in which that plan was adopted. Top House Democrat Hakeem Jeffries after the Supreme Court decision. We can at least draw some comfort from the fact that the 1965 Voting Rights Act remains alive. A lot of court watchers predicted this case would go the other way and say this decision's a surprise. I think so. You think back on other big decisions in this realm that have happened in the court, and the chief justice has taken a lot of heat for not being supportive enough or actually eroding or chipping away at the Voting Rights Act. Chief legal correspondent and host of Fox News Sunday, Shannon Bream. So the fact that he was the lead author of this opinion with the help of all the liberal-leaning justices and Justice Kavanaugh to come back with this decision, I think was a bit of a surprise for folks. Yeah. Well, tell people exactly what's going on with this case. I mean, some individual black voters and the NAACP sued, saying the map was unfair. Alabama argued the lower court put too much emphasis on race. So what happened is Alabama has its congressional districts drawn. There are seven districts. Only one of them now equates to a majority black district. Now, folks who were opposing this said, you got to take a look here. The population is actually 25 percent black citizens there in Alabama. And for that reason, these are not fair on the basis of race. So the court had this struggle back and forth with, is there a voting rights issue here, voting rights act issue, and opponents of what they did today, which is to say like, hey, there actually could be a problem there and you got to toss these and and basically affirming what the lower court had done. You got to go back to the drawing board on these. You know, other folks will say, 
and the dissent would say in some part, what you're doing is making us focus on race by saying, go and actually put together districts that take race into account as you're making them. So that's the argument against it did not win the day. The chief justice led this effort here to say there are problems with that districting and there is a race issue and the Voting Rights Act addresses that. We're waiting on a decision in a North Carolina redistricting case that could have even larger consequences that's called the independent state legislature Mm -hmm. theory. Explain that. Yeah, so it's this idea, do state legislatures have the final word on how you draw these districts and what you do? Or if state courts get involved, does that overstep the power that the state legislature has? Is that left only to the state legislature? So that is a very big one because, of course, it will be decided with respect to North Carolina and how they districted things as well. But it will apply everywhere. It will go to that argument about this independent state legislature theory. Is that what the Constitution and precedent really means is that state legislatures can do whatever they want. And then the courts, the state courts can't actually be a check on that. Big decision. We're waiting. Yeah. In that case, legislatures that have sort of entrenched sides, usually Republican, usually Democrat, that's going to be harder to unentrench. Getting back to this week's decisions, the court rules seven to two that a state run nursing home in Indiana can be sued by the family of a Medicaid recipient. It's a little bit wheezy, but maybe you can explain it. Well, I am not an expert on this case, only to tell you that the issue is, is if a state run or owned nursing home, there's an issue there with someone and a family member, say, would want to sue on behalf of somebody who was injured or not treated properly, or there were questions about medical uh, treatment, those kinds of things. There was this question of whether or not those nursing homes being state run, taking federal money would be immune as, you know, some government entities often are immune against a civil rights suit of some kind. And what the court said here is that no, those state-run nursing homes are not immune from these actions. There's not immunity there if family members or people want to come to forward with a civil claim against them. Jack Daniels wins its case over a dog toy. <laughs> it was unanimous that a lower court got it wrong. Yeah, and here's the thing. If you are a pet lover like me, you have dog toys, and many times they are themed. Dana Perino and I were talking about this. You know, you may have a little chewy purse that the dog can chew on called Chewy Vuitton instead of Louis Vuitton. There are toys like that that are made to look like Jack Daniels bottles and have, you know, similar imagery. And it's a parody, clearly. But what the court found is just claiming a parody doesn't get you out of the trademark law. You know, Jack Daniels would say, this actually dilutes our brand. These are not dog toys that we made. And what the court said is a very narrow ruling. It was authored by Kagan, and it is a unanimous opinion that essentially just claiming parity doesn't get you out of the trademark laws. And so they've sent this back down for more consideration, but a win for Jack Daniels. Yeah, the parody thing. I mean, for example, Saturday Night Live can can do a goof on a Marvel movie that doesn't infringe on Marvel's trademark. But this case, the court will look, this really is just specifically to make money. Right, exactly. That would be a difference. That's a great example. And, you know, you can say, well, okay, people aren't going to believe that this is a Jack Daniels toy. I mean, this is it's not a bottle of Jack Daniels that you're giving to the dog. It's a toy. It's a parody. But the court said that's just not going to be enough. And, you know, the mention you make about the skit. Clearly, like people are going to know that Marvel did not approve that skit on SNL and they're not trying to, you know, associate the two. SNL is not trying to act like they're now producing a Marvel movie. Yeah. And you can make the argument that Jack Daniels is getting a little bit of free publicity from the dog toys, however much they sell. But anyway, that's that. And from this case now. Right. Yeah. Good point. (laughs) California Governor Gavin Newsom wants to, some would say undercut, others would say clarify the Second Amendment with a new amendment to be the 28th. Now, what's he proposing? Theoretically, how would this be enacted? 
Well, he says it's not going to do away with the Second Amendment, but it's going to add some clarity. So he wants to raise the minimum age for buying a firearm from 18 to 21. You know, all the arguments against that. People will say if you can vote, if you can serve in the military, you should be able to buy a gun. Um, He wants universal background checks. And so people know they're pretty widespread. There are limited exceptions where you don't do a background check. He says none of those, like family transfers, father to son, that kind of thing. Nope, everybody gets a background check. He wants a waiting period for all guns that are purchased. And he wants to ban, quote unquote, assault weapons. That's where it gets really tricky because when you ask a lawmaker who who talks about either being for or against these bans, okay, how do you describe or define an assault weapons ban? That's not even something they agree on, what an assault weapon is. But he says, let's do that. We all know, if you remember from civics class, very hard to get a constitutional amendment passed, but the framework is there and the framers and founders provided it so we could do it if enough people want to do it. Yeah. And this goes beyond like him just tossing this out as an idea during a speech. Like he's says he's actually going to push for this. We all speculate about this with a lot of the things that he's done. He's out there. He's put his face and his name out there. And so um, when he does things that grab attention like this, you wonder, like, is he sort of trying to make sure he's a backup plan in case the Biden-Harris ticket for some reason didn't move forward? Um, the NRA calls it a publicity stunt. They, they say he has an unhinged contempt for the right to self-defense and it has no bounds. And they, you know, they say most Americans are not for what he is proposing, but you'd have to put it out there in one of these, you know, convention of states or, you know, do the massive undertaking to get it through the hill, which will just not happen. He's a smart enough guy to know that neither of those paths is going to happen anytime soon. So then you have to wonder why he's making the announcement. Three more Republicans in the presidential race this week, all interesting campaigns in their own way. Former Trump allies now not Trump allies, one aggressively so. And then you've got North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, who I guess is most known for being mostly unknown. Yeah, I had to Google him a few weeks ago when we heard, hey, North Dakota's governor is thinking about running. I was like, hold on. I feel like I'm not good at my job because I don't know what his name is. (laughs) So, But we're getting to know him. I mean, he's a former tech official, tech CEO. And what I think is interesting is our three newest entrants are all governors. These people have been executives. They know what it's like to try to, you know, balance a budget and get things done. States can't not balance their budgets. They can't just print money like the feds can do and run things the way that we do. So they're all going to make the argument. I know how to govern. I know about being an executive. I know how to get things done. And they'd all probably have differences in the way that they go about it. But you do have, yeah, two really well-known and one who admits he called himself a long shot dark horse. But he says there's a reason for him to get in. And, you know, a lot of people start at, I guess, hash marks in the polls and you got to start somewhere. All right. Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Doug Bergen, welcome to the race. Shannon Bream, host of Fox News Sunday, chief legal correspondent here for Fox. Shannon, thanks. Thanks, Chris. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. Emily Raines and Daniel Shiflett were flying back from vacationing in Florida to their home in Baltimore when a flight attendant announced that there was a medical emergency on board their plane. Emily and Daniel, who are both licensed nurses, sprang into action. They quickly learned that one of their fellow passengers was slumped over in his seat, his face bluish purple, and he had no pulse. They moved the man to the floor and began chest compressions. The Washington Post reports that nearby passengers helped organize the medical equipment found on board the plane. After using a device to open the man's airway and doing about 15 minutes of chest compressions, the couple got his heartbeat back just in time for an emergency landing in Raleigh, North Carolina.
By the time they landed, the man was awake and immediately taken to a hospital. Since the flight in early May, the couple has stayed in touch with the man and his family, and even got a thank you message and update from his wife the week after the emergency. Emily, who is an acute care nurse at Greater Baltimore Medical Center, said the whole ordeal has made the couple even more thankful for their medical backgrounds, saying, "I'm really glad we were able to be there to help." Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce. What's on your mind? The news that prestigious universities will pay two failed radical Democrat politicians to indoctrinate students with progressive propaganda is more evidence of the success of the loony left's sinister takeover of American higher education. Based on their disgraceful records, we can count on the two radicals, ousted former San Francisco District Attorney Chesa Boudin and defeated former Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot to conduct BS programs and those letters don't stand for Bachelor of Science, rooted in leftist ideology rather than facts. The Liberal University of California, Berkeley, announced May 31st it has hired Boudin as the founding director of its new Criminal Law and Justice Center. Boudin lost his job in a June 2022 recall election when 61% of voters cast ballots to boot him out of office after less than two years on the job. Harvard University announced June 1st that it has hired Lightfoot, a failed one-term leader who lost her re-election bid this year when she received less than 17% of the vote in a multi-candidate field, becoming the first Chicago mayor to lose re-election in 40 years. She will teach a course called Health Policy and Leadership for one semester at the T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Lightfoot is a lawyer, not a health professional. But hey, let's not get picky about her lack of qualifications. Rather than educating, we should expect Boudin and Lightfoot will do their best to pollute the minds of students with a warped and hostile view of the United States, condemning our nation as a systemically racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, environmentally destructive, oppressor of the poor, and tool of evil corporate capitalists. This anti-American narrative is now the norm at U.S. colleges and universities. In 2020, Boudin was elected as district attorney in San Francisco, one of the farthest left cities in our country. A former public defender, he quickly showed he was more interested in protecting criminals from justice than protecting the public from criminals. As district attorney, Boudin did his best to keep criminals out of jail by liberalizing bail, instituting alternate sentencing programs, declining to even prosecute some accused criminals, prosecuting some felony crimes as misdemeanors, and releasing prisoners from jail during the coronavirus pandemic as an ostensible public health measure. As a result, murders, burglaries, and car thefts in San Francisco soared. This was all too much, even for liberal San Franciscans, which led them to vote Boudin out of office. While Boudin was coddling criminals on the left coast, Lightfoot was failing to protect the people of Chicago. The city's homicide rate rose 39% under her watch. Shootings and car thefts also rose sharply. Lightfoot, who is black, was criticized by the news media for announcing in 2021 that she would only give interviews to journalists of color, complaining about the, quote, overwhelming whiteness and maleness of Chicago media outlets. 
and proclaiming her commitment to, quote, fight for diversity and inclusion. She dropped the policy of excluding white reporters from interviews last year after the Daily Caller News Foundation and a white reporter filed a federal civil rights lawsuit accusing her of illegal racial discrimination. Think of the hiring of Boudin and Lightfoot as oh-so-politically-correct recycling, part of a trend of transforming washed-up Democrat officials into propagandists to recruit young followers to carry on the fanatical crusade to make America woke. While this benefits leftist politicos with paychecks and platforms to promote their radical views, it robs students of the accurate and quality education that they actually deserve. This is Tammy Bruce. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffies at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.